0: Hello and welcome to a truly inspiring and motivating episode of Pitchmasters with me, your host, Danny Fontaine. This week I speak to Carl Hewitt, a young CEO of a digital marketing agency who founded the company when he was just 17 years old. He tells me the struggles he's overcome with age bias, how he's grown a business from door to door selling, how we can all use personas properly to win over an audience, how small tests always win the day, how he handled a mid-pitch panic attack and how the dream of taking his mum to Rome has driven him towards success. Sit back, grab a drink and get ready to make some notes. Carl Hewitt, hello and welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Now I'm going to get you to introduce yourself in a second but you're a little bit different from some of the normal guests that I have on because a lot of the guests I have are very experienced. They've written 15 books and they've been doing this for kind of 40 years and and things like that. You're not one of those well-known names but That's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, because you're in almost a a new world, a different type of world of pitching, where there's lots of young people. (laughs) And I think that's something that I really, really need to talk about on this show. So I'll shut up for a second. Introduce yourself,
1: sir. (laughs) Hi, Danny. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, Yeah, so as you say, my name is Hewitt. I run a, a performance marketing and web agency based down in, in Portsmouth in Hampshire. Um, funnily enough we are based in IBM's UK HQ down on the south coast and and took some office space there about five years ago and set up the company about six and a half years ago while at college. So um, yeah started the business with a friend of mine we we're both 17 odd at the time um, wow. and then yeah, kind of grew it from there. There was a few attempts beforehand for other businesses, which I'm sure we'll go into in the dramatic failures yeah. those were. But we're we're here now and things are going well and we're, we're growing this up, as you say. Um, yeah, there's a lot of us and a lot of young people in the pitching world now, and I'm sure we can discuss some of the things we're all coming up against. So what does your company do? So in a nutshell, we we mainly focus on paid media marketing. So things like Google search ads or social ads Um, or kind of retargeting and and building the strategy around that to select the channels and what we should be saying and and to who. And then we also build and design the websites that that traffic goes to. And those aren't necessarily a package deal. You know, some people might want an e-commerce site built and they've already got their marketing sorted or vice versa. But our job is to kind of go into a company, look at what they've got in place or what they haven't and try and uncover the areas they can get some growth from. Um, sometimes without even increasing budget and spend it's more about how you deliver it I suppose so yeah a few different areas
0: do you think you can if you've got a good enough website if you get all of your messaging and communications right do you how much do you still need to rely on paid advertising
1: it's um it's the old adage people kind of have isn't it of of build it and they will come type thing it's Mm. not actually the case really online I think you do need to, to an extent, if you don't really have your own network and your own earned or owned media to get that message out, you're going to have to have an element of paid in there, especially for a market that may not be solution aware. So if you've built this amazing new product that does this thing and solves this problem, but nobody knows that that exists yet and it's totally new to the market, you're going to have to tell some people about it. Whereas, you know, if you're selling laptops and someone types, I need a new laptop, they're kind of familiar <laughs> with, with that. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on is the, is the market solution aware and do you have your own owned or owned media yet? And then I think you can answer that question.
0: And do you help brands not just with the design of the website, but with their communications and their brand story?
1: So we tend to partner with other agencies for that, um, because when it comes to branding and and brand story and positioning and things like that, we don't have the experts in house for it so we help with it but we don't do it ourselves we'll partner with an agency um, we're very much of the opinion of if we can't do it we're not going to pretend we do these people are great right. speak with them and, and we'll we'll be on the sidelines when you need us but that is a huge part of what needs to go into the website And a lot of people um, you'd be surprised how many don't have that sorted.
0: Yeah I think people are just unaware of it sometimes they think I'm just going to put all of my information onto a website, and then that's job done. And I think you know we've got to create these relationships with our customers rather than just feed them one-way more more information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're in a in a space now and in time where everyone does everything, and there's probably about sixty of us, regardless of what it is you offer, around the world, who're doing the same thing. And your differentiator is your story, but that's what gets left, you know, and it's. And baffles me that people don't focus on that and kind of see that as their USP. Every person is unique, and that's the story of the business. But they don't, yeah, don't spend the time on it, like you say. And that's what customers want to see. You're a CEO, age
0: 25, with your own digital agency, with real clients. Tell me your story. How did you go from 17-year-old at college to, to where you are in that space of time?
1: Yeah, so it all started... My first business attempt was um, I was kind of I figured out how to customize games controllers, to take them apart, spray paint them, put them all back together. And I was selling those to, to friends and, mm. and things like that. And I thought, you know, this is this is great. I'm enjoying that. And and school and, and college was never my forte. Um, I just couldn't. The way I learn is very different to the way that classrooms are set up. And so I was always rubbish at it. And, you know, if, if I found something I liked, I'd go and learn it for hours and hours and hours in my own time, but in my own way. Um so I kind of was trying to find anything <laughs> that wasn't school and learning. So I wanted to do businesses. So I did that. Then I moved on to to try and start a clothing brand, which was my first real um exposure to a pitch, I was trying to raise some money for that through a through a grant they had at the college. And then I met my business partner who um he was a developer at the time at college and self-taught and had started a an online forum for developers as his first business and on my side of things my mum um you know kind of brought me up by herself and she would said to me previously while i was at college that she'd love to go to rome one day and we, we hadn't had the, the money for it at the time and i thought well need to make some money to take mum to rome and i, I feel like business Aww. owners have got some money so i'll start another business and and that's when recently i got to get a, and we thought, well, let's try this agency idea. It works well and it seems to fit together. We didn't really know what an agency looked like at the time. Um, and it was kind of just before or around the rise of Stephen Bartlett. So we sort of thought, well, that looks great. Well, we'll try that. And yeah, we went from there. And it was, I think we were so blind to everything that entailed. We just jumped in with both feet and, uh, and thought, right. well, let's see how this goes. And, and there's a lot of lessons learned, but, I don't think I've changed anything about it. It's been amazing so far, and there's a long way to go as well.
0: So I have two questions. First of all, have you taken your mum to Rome yet?
1: We go in three weeks, actually, funny Yes,
0: enough. amazing. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Well done, mate. I I, I think that's brilliant. What a, what a brilliant vision to have and a reason to kind of make some money and start a company. Second question, I, I think a lot of people listening to this are going to have – uh, at least an entrepreneurial bent perhaps so let's talk through some of those lessons that you learned you know if, if someone's listening and thinks you know what i want to start an agency let's help them out
1: hmm. yeah of course so i think there's so so many areas of it that you could could look into and deep dive into but i think one of the main things for us is to it's a big cliche everyone talks about but it's the people you have on board and I feel like if you're right. especially if you're starting an agency you need somebody who truly loves their area of expertise you know this this guy was just hired at the moment for um to head up the the kind of paid side of things loves it um and it was freelance was running his own own mini businesses himself if you like and he's just absolutely passionate you know top to toe about this this kind of work and about paid and that comes across in the pitches and in the content you push out and in the conversations you have because these people genuinely are there the salary's fine that's part of the equation sure but they're there because they love this type of work and i think not compromising on that early because someone says yes we can do it a little bit better than you can so we'll mm. come in and do it for a fee or whatever that's that's one of the really key lessons is never compromising on the people you bring in for me at least um and I imagine you've probably found the same in your experience, but it's you can tell who's got the real passion for something and who hasn't.
0: Absolutely. One of the challenges that comes along with that is how do you find those people? How do you get them to join your company over a competitor? Um, and how do you keep them?
1: Yeah, that's that's the the real um big question isn't it I think for a lot of agencies as well at the moment where salaries are really spiraling up or, or have been uh, for a long time that you know they'll just get offered a bigger number somewhere else and run away and I think right it's as you say there's two parts of that equation finding them and keeping them and for us and one of the big challenges we did face starting an agency at young ages, is the best highs we've had have been through network and who we know and they've recommended someone and they worked with this guy before who was really great and oh let's see where he is when you start at college, the only people you know are your friends at college and your teachers, and the, maybe the dinner lady yeah. or your your, your mum and dad and it's, <laughs> there's no one else that can that you know that can help you with that and and that is really where you find the best people because it's genuine and it 's the same with new business that 's where people find their agencies It's genuine with a referral and and we didn't have that so for us, that was huge was growing out that network and finding those people and then retaining them is something that we're really trying to focus on internally at the moment. And for me, at least, it's about making sure everyone who comes in every day feels that what they're doing is firstly valuable to the business and they have a key part to play and they have their number. And almost what the reason they're getting up to come in is to, is to do this bit. But then also the second half of that is that it's recognized and it's, it's talked about and everyone's aware of that. And and therefore people feel useful and that usefulness is, is um, realized by the rest of the team. For me, that's such a huge part of it. Of course, you've got the other perks that we try and build in and um, things mm. that we can offer as extra value. But it's fundamental. I think that's that's huge.
0: And then, of course, as well as getting staff, you need clients as well. Right. That must be. Maybe I'm making an assumption, but as a very young person in business, especially if you're you know still a teenager, trying to get clients to sign up on the dotted line when you've got no experience and you know this big story to talk about tell me about that
1: yeah you're and you're so right it's, it was a real challenge um so our first clients came from local businesses and we did everything we could to try and get clients we went like i say we, we weren't tainted by industry yet so we had this you know bright-eyed bushy-tailed <laughs> approach to everything optimism right um, <laughs> yeah we had optimism and um we were doing everything we could we would finish college and then go down to the local high streets with flyers and business cards and just knock on every single door midway through their day and say you know this is what we do we're an a marketing agency we're based uh, down at portsmouth college and uh do you need any help with anything and really like door-to-door salesman stuff we started with um yeah. I used to do hundreds of outbound calls a day myself, just sat in the office, just calling businesses that I thought looked great to work with and were interesting. Um, and that was where we started to drum up our first business. The college was one of our early clients as well. Um, they took a, a risk on us and, and that was great and really kind of them to to work with. As you say, this agency with no background And then a couple of other local businesses did. I remember we worked with a a local chocolate maker who had a cafe as well. And um, we exploded his social media profile. He got massive online and it went so well. And that was really nice to see because I think we always appreciated the risk that people took by choosing to Mm. work with us. I mean, if you're looking to work with two 17-year-olds who have just sat by themselves Versus an agency that's probably, you know, a few hundred quid a month more expensive, but a lot more experienced and trusted. To go with us is phenomenal that they did that. And you're you're spot on. That was really one of the biggest challenges was to get that ball rolling, I think.
0: And how do you think you convinced these people then? Because we're already into the world of pitching it, whether it's, you know, on the phone or in person, you're saying, hello, you don't know me, but I'd like... To sell you my my idea, and and some of them said yes. And considering the amount of people you probably spoke to, did you start to figure out a
1: formula almost that was working for you to drum up that new business? Yeah, I think my opinion on it is is that with pitching, it's fundamentally about communicating an idea properly to someone else, or at least better than anyone else is at that time, because. Your idea should be sound already if you're trying to pitch to someone. You should have done that work beforehand. You should be good at what you do. And I think that's one thing that really benefits us and was a huge drive in this is Reese was a fantastic developer. I was so in love with marketing. I'd learned everything I possibly could at the time about every tiny nuance of Facebook's algorithm. And so we were good at what we did. And that is is one of the major players in, in pitching, of course, That you've got a solid base to work from and then it is about getting that idea across and i think that gave us the trust and allowed people to see okay we can relax a little bit on the logical level in that these kids they do know what they're doing but they're they're younger than most in the marketing world um but they've got that logical explanation and it makes sense and the dots join up and that lets people kind of the shoulders come down and they'll relax a bit and then listen to why they should work with you and the value they could get and Open themselves up to feeling like, okay, there is actually opportunity here, and allow themselves to get emotionally invested in this thing. And so that was really important. But I think that in terms of a formula, it's not so much formula on how we pitch, but formula on trying to understand who you're pitching to as quickly as possible, so that you can adapt Mm. and change to that person. Um, Because as soon as you try and make it a formula or make it a, a process that's really too rigid you end up assuming everybody's the same. And I think that's where people will fall down is when you have the sales script yeah. that is step-by-step. Step. That might work for a couple of people, but if you can tailor that on every call or in every meeting, you'll do a lot, lot better. And and that's really where I've tried to focus my energy, at least because my job is the new business and marketing and, and finding the businesses we can work with. Trying to understand those people as quickly as possible and then tailor everything from from the off that I send them and say to them, with that in mind.
0: So how do you drum up new business today? You're a few years on from knocking on doors in the street.
1: Yes, fortunately at the moment, I've not knocked on (laughs) too many many doors. Um, So at the moment, a big part of our new business strategy is actually partnerships with other agencies. That's been really big. Okay. Um, Because we're in such a nice industry where people aren't as closed off anymore. They used to be very closed off. Competition was competition. Don't speak to anyone. Now people have their specialism. And, you know, for us, if a Magento site comes in, for example, we don't do that. We don't have the internal resource to do Magento, but we know incredible agencies who do. And in marketing, you can talk to any agency. We've read all the reports of all of the businesses that have been surveyed it's all word of mouth and referrals and then other bits on the side of that like mm. like events and and networking which is kind of the same as word of mouth anyway um you know and then some outbound stuff and other other work that goes with it and that is important but so much of it is word of mouth and that's why i, I really love this industry is you can't buy your way in it takes time for people to trust you and for you to gain that reputation and say oh yeah you know they worked with that company and the results were great and my friend over there said they were really good and and that's how you really do get the best contracts and the best business. And it takes time and it takes good work and it takes attention to detail when delivering that work with clients as well. So you're you're pitching to clients in the future while you're delivering your current work. You've got to keep that in mind because everything I do now is what's going to be said in that meeting in, in six months time with someone I've not met yet. So mm. um, that's been, uh, yeah, one of the, the big areas of, of growth for us, certainly. Do you think, I guess when you're
0: calling people or arranging meetings via email, not face-to-face stuff, um, they don't necessarily know how old you are. Have you ever had an experience where they've found out and that's changed things?
1: We have. We have. We had. um, There's one instance that really springs to mind of this. And it is less common, but it is I think the fear that a lot of young people have when they go to pitch is I know I'm younger. I know I don't look as experienced and um, as embedded in this industry. So they get quite nervous. And we had pretty much exactly your, your worst nightmare one day when we'd, (laughs) I'd been cold calling, I'd been emailing um, going to events, doing everything we could. And we had these three leads in Swindon and we managed to, no, sorry in Slough and we managed to align them so that all of the meetings were on the same day and Reese my business partner and I we drove up to slough um it was a long day the first meeting was really early i think we had a, a nap midday in in a car park somewhere in the car before the next one and Love it. the first meeting with an electrical company went really well they were this these two guys who started an electrical company and were growing and they just got to deal with heathrow and it was really exciting for them and they needed a website because that was getting to be a big blocker for them. So we had a chat with them and we really resonated. We, we kind of had a similar story, but at different times in our lives and we really connected well and we still work with them today. This was years ago. We still host their site and they've grown phenomenally. We moved on to the second pitch. That was one of two automotive companies that day. Got on really well with them, had a great tour of their facility. They loved the, the proposal and what we were doing, pitched that to them. Great. Two clients signed up of three. So we were ready to round out the day with the third one. And we went to um, another automotive company, walked through the door and I'd had brilliant conversations. And this was the guy I was sure about. And I was thinking, it's going to be three of three. What a day. <laughs> had great chats with this guy on the phone. He was so ready to go. It was kind of like, oh, if you're, if you're nearby, yeah, come and say hi before we get started kind of thing. Right. Came through the door and he kind of, it was, his face kind of dropped. He went, oh, you're, are you Carl? I said, yeah, yeah nice to see you he said oh, okay um like you know you're younger than i thought i said yeah um <laughs> i didn't want to say you know you're you're older than i thought i don't know <laughs> right. um, and i said yeah you know and this is my co-director reese we started the company together he said well oh, right okay um all right and we had this really awkward something was off kind of tour of his yeah. place and and a chat and then then a kind of, yeah, I'll be in touch. I'll let you know when we get started. And, and then just never heard from him again. Would never sign up with us. And nothing came of it. And it was purely because he thought I was however old in his head. And he built this picture up. And this was before everything was on Zoom and, and Teams. Yeah. Um, and decided not to wear with us for that. And it's so interesting that I'd already given him the information, the quote, the strategy, all the documentation. And he was on board with it. It was just my age. When we came into his office, that that stopped the deal going through, and yeah, that was really, even to this day, I don't know what we could have done differently except been older. That's literally <laughs> <laughs> it was so strange. Um, but we have had that. that is strange.
0: Yeah. And I wonder, yeah, how did you take it? Did you think, oh well, never mind, or or, or were you frustrated, or do you th- did you think, I wonder how we can change that? I mean, it's a prejudice, right? That. Mm. I know how I would have dealt with it, but I'm not going to tell you right now. I want to hear what you think.
1: Sure. I'm very much of the belief that if it's not necessarily in your kind of area of influence, if it's not something you can really control or do anything about, there's no point. You're just going to make yourself suffer twice. You're going to, you're going to get in the car. You're going to not talk to, to Reese all the drive home because you're angry. <laughs> you're going to drive quicker and cost yourself more fuel, and you're going to get home and not sleep about it and ruin your next day. And, realistically am i going to change this guy's mind that because i'm young you know i'm not right for what he wants i don't think i could have done everything else was in line and that's really what we think about all the way through is that if someone's not right for us and we're not right for them i'm not going to try and change that about it and if if we've got a deal on the table and we think we've got it and it goes at the last minute because someone's best friend has started an agency and they've sent it that way right. i can't change that all i can do is move on to the next one i've i've got All I've got control of is what I do next. So we just, we try and just look at that. And it's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. It's upsetting at the time. And you are kind of, we were hit by it and sort of thought, well, as a growing agency, we needed that retainer. We needed some more revenue on the bottom line. But if that's what we need, I can tell you right now, being annoyed about this one guy is not going to add that to the bottom line. Right. So um, Plus you
0: just got two of the other, through other, right? Any agency in the world would bite your hand off if you could say you can have a 66% win rate in your
1: (laughs) exactly and that's it you've got to look at the positives but what would you do I'm interested now what would be your no I totally
0: agree with you I, I think you've got to not be affected by it I mean in my personal opinion knowing you and what you do his loss is like the big headline here because there's a flip side on this which I want to ask you about and that is you know me personally, if I went out to the market and thought, right, I need someone to help me, especially with my social media, I'm going to look for the youngest person I can find. Like, mm. my kid is better on TikTok than I am, even though I've you know, <laughs> spent wasted probably hours and hours trying to make videos that get views. So have you found that flip side as well, almost? Like, thank God you're so young
1: because these older agencies are stuffy and they don't understand the modern world of social media. 100 percent 100 percent and and that's that's why we're so focused on not just the people we bring into the business but the clients we work with and what you've just said there is exactly the kind of client we want to work with people like you who who see it that way other other people they want to just be safe and they don't want any change from the norm but that doesn't work quite the same all the time and we have found that and our best clients who we've been with for years and years are those kinds of people and my, my favourite example of that is there's um, one of our clients, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, but his name's Bobby Metter. And he is, I believe now, one of the pro vice chancellors potentially of, of the University of Portsmouth. And um, we were at an event for a local restaurant and it was, a, I think it was an Eid event at the time. Um, and it was breaking the fast. And we were, we were there together with them and Pompey and the community. And we all, um, they bought food and we all sat on the floor in this huge um sort of facility where, where Pompey and the community are based and Bobby was there and we were chatting to him and we knew who he was because we we sort of tried to research who was who was coming to the event and we told him what we were doing Reese and I and again we were maybe 18 19 at the time and he kind of said oh yeah cool we'll come in we'll, we'll have a chat and Bobby is the honestly the busiest guy I've ever met in my entire life he he does not stop he's in, his work ethic is incredible and he found time for us and that for me even just that was really kind of him and we came and had a chat and he said well look we've got these huge agencies that work for us as, as a uni but I'd be really keen to see what you can do you're coming at this at a very different angle as, as young people and I want to support local and, and start up so he gave us some work with the University of Portsmouth as teenagers, which was incredible for anyone to do. Mm. We started working with them. We still work with them. We've run campaigns that have won awards with them. Um, we've built sort of relationships between the union and other clients of ours to to then work with people like Universities UK International. And again, we ran a campaign with them that resulted in, in three industry awards for its impact through, through COVID. And all of that really stemmed from Bobby just giving us the opportunity and seeing that we were actually approaching this quite differently. And those are the best clients for me, the ones that see it that way and are willing to take that risk. And that yeah. excites them, you know.
0: And so you've won awards. What, what's your, you know, your proudest moment so far?
1: I think personally for me, my, my most um, proud moment was when we won an award for a campaign we did called Hashtag we Are Together with Universities UK international and um this was through COVID and international students understandably as everyone else was were so nervous about coming to the UK to continue their study plans. Yeah. And so Universities UK and and Andy um at UKI said, look, we need to do something about this, but we've got no budget because this wasn't in the budget. It wasn't forecast for you know COVID hits in March. We better up our spend. Right. So we had no budget, we had no plan Governance and guidelines were changing daily, but we needed to tell these students that we've got everything covered here in the UK. You can still come and study. You don't need to defer. And so we took the decision. We, we started this campaign together. And actually, I saw them planning it on a webinar while he was in China, Andy. And I, I messaged him after the webinar and said, look, this is going to sound really outlandish. But I think we can do it better if we do it this way. And I really want to help. And he got on a call with us and we and we did it. And we that's how we started the conversations. Um, and we were on that webinar as a result of Bobby, funnily enough. And um, it was that campaign that won an award because we used user-generated content, which was from students at the university, just filmed on their phone. There was no high production, glossy, mm-hmm. 4K camera stuff involved. It was people on their phone saying, look, actually, this is the real situation. Things are OK at the moment. You know it's tough for everyone but you can still come and study and we went to go to the awards and it was just reese and i at the awards um in london and we were up against huge names i think like household brand names for for the crisis campaign of the year and um we ended up winning there's a video of of us winning actually and reese <laughs> and i just kind of hadn't clocked it yet we just thought yeah great looking at the screen and oh god that's us <laughs> and we went up and, and accepted the award and. For me, that was phenomenal. That was the first big award we've ever won. And then that went on to, to go to um, Global PR Week and the International Content Awards, things like that. It was amazing. But that was the UK Agency Awards we won. And yeah, that's, that's one of my proudest moments for sure.
0: That's amazing. And I talk about this stuff all the time. Finding ways to create an emotional connection in your audience, you know, and you can do it with a dollar or a pound, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money to win a pitch, and I think getting big names on the show who have a ridiculous day rate for this kind of stuff, and you think, well, actually I want people out there to know who have not got any money but they've got an amazing idea that you can do so much on on a total shoestring budget, if you can find those ways to make those emotional connections
1: 100%, and I think that that goes through everything when it comes to pitching. You're pitching all the time when you're running a business. You're you're pitching everything internally, externally to your colleagues and you've just got to understand how to connect with them. And that's so, so important, regardless of the medium you're doing it through. And like you say, it often doesn't require a budget. It just requires the right tailoring and the right positioning of that to get across to people. But also an understanding that you are talking to a lot of different people. And so actually different iterations of that is probably where you'll find the benefit. We've been working with another agency recently who are all chartered psychologists on Mm. psychology led marketing around how we do that. And that's been really mind blowing as to the differences that can make as well. Tell me some
0: of the things you've learned.
1: Well, I think for me, the really interesting example Is um, So we always, when we're talking to people about this, um, we always use the same example of demographics aren't quite what people think they they are. You know, they'll target someone who is 60 years old, lives in London, lives in a castle, on their second marriage, (laughs) has two kids, over a million pounds in revenue, uh, income, loves dogs. And actually that persona and that demographic, you'd think, oh, brilliant, I know exactly what I'm going to say to this person. But the people that applies to is the Ozzy Osbourne and King Charles of the world. They both fit that. And it's quite a common example. And you kind of, you go, Oh yeah, that's really true. And the same is true with Reese and I, so we're both 25, both born and bred in Portsmouth. We both own a business and we both own a digital business. We live here for, for what? 25 years. We've got our first house, um, et cetera, et cetera. We're very, very different people, entirely different on Mm -hmm. why we'd buy things. and, if you're selling a car to Reese and I, Reece would fall into an archetype that is called um, a planner. And he would love to know about how big's the boot? What's the miles per gallon? What's the guarantee on it like? The warranty? Um, the road tax? If it's electric, how, how many miles do I get out of it? And how quick does it recharge? Before he'll get excited about it. And planners are about risk mitigation. You know, what's this going to keep me safe with? Whereas for me, I want to know what colours does it come in? How fast does it go? What gadgets right. can you put on the car? And then I'll get excited and ask the other questions later. But based on what everyone does with demographics and personas, you'd send us the same message. And I think that's often overlooked is really considering, well, why are people buying this? What do they need to feel safe and to feel emotionally invested in this, that they can put some money up for it? Um and that's something we're really looking to roll out with a lot of clients at the moment, even we work with a big broadband provider. And it's it's a case of, well, some people wanna know how fast is the broadband and, and how smooth is my gaming gonna be? Other people wanna know that the contract's not gonna change and the price isn't gonna go up mi- midway through and that the speed's fine. That's not really the priority. They just wanna know it's nice and safe. And so those are two very different messages and that's where you've got to put your, your time and effort. And the beauty is, that's free if you think about what you've got to do there's no extra budget that needs to go behind that you just have to really consider the different types of people that you're going to be speaking to and i i love that i find that kind of thing really um yeah really interesting so
0: how, how do you actually use that though because that all makes perfect sense and you know i've been in the industry a long time we always make up personas and sometimes we base them on real people but you're quite right there's we're humans and we're infinitely different in, in, in lots of different ways, to whoever you put next to each other. So how do you take that information and use it in a campaign for example?
1: Yeah, of course. So, so one example, um, you've kind of got a few options. So you've got that, those audiences you haven't met yet. We have to make a level of, an, of assumption and almost test it equally to start with. So you make those various different uh, ad copies and imagery. And then you push that out to people. And that ad copy will be things like, you know, adventurers and people, people like me, they love new experiences. They don't necessarily want to do what other people are doing. They kind of just want to try this cool stuff and everyone else can do their own thing. And they want to go fast and they want, um, they usually quite like control of things as well. So um, a new tech, you'd put all of that in your ad copy and your imagery and find ways to reflect that. So um, we're doing a webinar about this actually. And the example is the BMW i8 launch. And that came out. Mm. So BMW i8 launch, the ads that we would suggest for adventurers are the pictures of the doors when they go up. And, I was going to say, put a gullwing door on it and I'll buy it. Exactly, exactly. And they want pictures of lifestyle shots, people doing donuts in it, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and they want the ad copy to talk about experience, the power and the control and, and the handling. One of the rarest models ever, come and book your test drive. Whereas the planners... They wanna know it's adaptable, it's hybrid for today's world, it's built for the future. You don't need to replace it. Come and discuss the car today. Here's the percent APR up front. Come and um, Mm. we're offering this extended warranty at the moment as well. Those kinds of things, how you would apply it. But another way you can do that to your current audience is there are personality tests that, again, this agency we're working with have, have built over time. And they actually tested this by sending this out to an email database. Of a, of a huge global brand and said, oh, we've got a personality test for you um, and you can see what your archetype is. Loads of people filled it out and they then tailored the messaging back to those people um, in the email marketing. And what it was, was the people who were sociable and wanted to be safe and wanted to be with everyone else. The content said, you know, the latest styles this year to help you stay on trend, right? So everyone's, everyone's moving forward. You get to move forward with them at the same rate. You're, you're with that cohort. Whereas for other people, it was the latest um, clothing range to help you stand out this summer and things like that, where it's really subtle differences, but the conversion rate like doubled compared to their mm. old email marketing. And it was phenomenal. And I loved it. And that really piqued my interest. And so now we're kind of, yeah, rolling that out with with a lot of people um, to see how we can apply. It, and I'm loving it. Like I say, it changes all the time. It's a new approach to things. That's what we want to do. But I think it's it's such a cool way of, of approaching it.
0: I guess it, it boils down really what you're saying to testing your assumptions, right? And that's the beauty of the digital world that we're in. I mean, if you were a 1970s ad man, you, you put out your best creative and, and you hope it sells the Ford. <laughs> These days you can do, I assume, very small experiments all the time to get... rely on all of that data right
1: absolutely and with the tools available through through meta and, and google with performance max and and all these different variable um machine learning techniques now that are used in in the delivery of ads on on paid channels you can give it all those different iterations and kind of let it run and it will it will optimize based on the results it sees and actually it might be that if you're selling a bmw i8 there are no planners that will want to buy it. So you, it will automatically, it will sense that and say, well, this this is being delivered to the same amount of people, but this content isn't doing well enough, but this one's really smashing it. So it will start to optimize to your adventurers type of person. Mm. And then not only do you start to kind of understand, oh, okay, it's done that for a reason, but also it's optimizing it for you already. And you can then take that learning and put it in place with everything else, even your outbound calling, for example, if you know that what you're selling is mainly for adventurers, your outbound calling, you'll focus on that early doors because those are the people that are going to resonate with it. And the the planners just won't, for example. Um, and yeah, it's there's so much testing you can do and the data is, you can't argue it. It's there, It's it's ones and zeros. And that's really great because that's the one thing that people aren't is ones and zeros. And so the closer right. we can get to matching those, the better, and, and I think machine learning has gone a long way to helping with that as well.
0: So, going back to to pitching, then I, I guess you must be, a, as an agency, involved in competitive pitches now against other agencies to try and win work, which is you know, the natural progression. How do you go about pitching your agency to to others?
1: Yeah, so when we when we come to pitch, it's often a case and as I'm sure yourself and a lot of your listeners will have experienced as well, the person you're talking to isn't the only stakeholder, especially B2B. I think Google did some research where it's something like 45% or or 45% of deals have eight or more stakeholders now involved in the decision, especially when it's B2B. And so you may be speaking to one person, but the first thing for us is to understand everybody that's going to be involved in this and what they want from it. Because often there's so much nuance to consider your idea and your pitch and your strategy behind it all almost becomes quite a small part of the puzzle because you Mm. should be good at what you're doing already as I say you should know how to get this result but it's how you're going to communicate to everybody involved that you can do that and that you're the one to use for this of course we always if you'd want to look at it as a formula we do always try and have something in there that's really quite creative. Maybe it's that psychology-led piece or some CRO work we'd recommend or, you know, something different they've not been told yet to really make it stand out and get some excitement. You won't get that excitement if there's one person in the room who's thinking, well, they haven't mentioned this thing yet, which I'm really worried Mm. about. So for me, it's understanding firstly who's going to be making the decision and who's going to be in the room for the pitch and then seeing, right, well, why do these people come in every single day? You've got your CFO. He comes in for, um, you know, your your cost reduction, profit maximization. He wants to know are people paying on time, etc. You might have your CEO and she's coming in because she wants the company to grow to two billion in the next two weeks. And that's her real thing that she wants to achieve. Your account management team who are focused on retention. All of these people, that's what they're task driven to. And so when we pitch, we try and say, look, you know, we've got PPC strategy for you. We want to track these leads from start to finish so that Mr. CFO, you can see PPC leads. Actually, they pay on time more often than your cold calling leads. And you'll be able to know that. And then not only will you be really happy about PPC, you'll put more money into it, which has never happened ever from a CFO. They'll put more money into PPC. And the CEO will say to her, great, look, we're really good at what we're doing. doing. We've got the strategy that will reach more customers. We tweak this, we'll improve your conversion rate. You'll grow twice as quickly over the next six months. This is going to be great for you. Account managers, from the work we've done with similar businesses, we found that customers who come from PPC, because they typed in the, the thing they wanted to buy, they were higher intent, and actually they retain and stay longer, and their account grows quicker than any other channel. And then before you know it, how you do that doesn't really matter no one's asked that question that they just think yep sign them up they're brilliant fantastic everyone's happy and i think that research up front is actually where we put a lot of our time is why are these people in the room and if they're not there how can we communicate this properly so that the team can pass that on to them and get them excited about it later um but yeah
0: and i guess you you go deeper than you're a cfo so you want money you you go to the individual level how how do you do it is it a case of to put it crudely social media stalking
1: yeah I, that is absolutely a huge part of it we've we've done with all of our pitches we'll always look for podcasts that people have been on we'll look at interviews they might have done we'll look at their their social media and, and what they're up to day to day and and what they love about the, the weekend what they spend their time looking forward to doing is this person a kite surfer for example you know whatever it might be and then trying to bring those things through into the into the conversation and into that pitch and also then placing people who genuinely will resonate better with that person in the pitch as well so if you see for example one of our account managers charlie avid cycler absolutely loves cycling cycles into and, and, and into work every day if we are stalking someone for a pitch and we see that they're a huge cycling fan or they're a triathlete like Charlie is or whatever else it is we'll bring Charlie along because not only do they get to meet an account manager Mm. but there's that level of you know we can drop that in conversation and have that chat and um, that's uh, a quick
0: quick question on that one I don't know the answer to this but I've thought about it before in your opinion is it best to do that subtly and say oh what a coincidence Charlie likes cycling as well (laughs) Or is it equally as powerful or more powerful or less powerful to say we've brought Charlie because we know that we've seen on the internet that you love cycling? Yeah, very tricky one, right?
1: It's a very good point. I think that is, um, it really depends, doesn't it? Depends how they'll take it. I think if they're a big company, they should expect you to do that level of research and due, due diligence. And so you can come in and say, look, we've looked all of you up. Um, and this is what we found and this is the team we think is going to work best for smaller companies who aren't used to that level of detail in the pitch they might be a bit surprised by it so you might want to do it a bit more subtly Correct. and say um you know well, charlie you know, when you you cycled in the other day how, how is the new bike oh yeah yeah good yeah blah, 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 and then start that conversation um but yeah i think for the bigger companies you could probably be much more upfront about that and say we've looked you up and you know this guy's a triathlete this guy loves coding or whatever else and and we know that you do this, so this is why we've bought this team. I think that would add a lot yeah. of value. I don't know. What would you all... I think it would be quite cool. Yeah,
0: well, I'm not sure. I mean, well, I know that where I work, people are very, very wary of, of saying, we stalked you on the internet because it's enterprise B2B stuff. But in my personal opinion, I, you know, I'm always looking for ways to disrupt. So I think personally, if someone came to pitch to me and they'd themed it with Podcasts and Freddie Mercury. <laughs> I'd be like, this is great, guys. Yeah. Like, thanks for stalking me. I mean, the, your internet's in the public domain. It's different if someone's hacked your phone and got the information. But if they've looked on your publicly open Instagram account, then I think, you know, you can't really get too annoyed.
1: No, no, this is it. You've put it out there. I mean, it's not a surprise someone's found it, but you're absolutely right. I, I'd love that if someone came and tailored a pitch to us for for what it is we we enjoy and what we do in our spare time, as well as they understood yeah. the goals of the business and, and what our roles are, and have taken the time to think about that. I, I don't see why that would be a downside no. if they built the team specially. I, I, I
0: think road. what's more dodgy is if we found out that this guy's a keen cycler, and so we thought, right, let's use a metaphor of cycling, and the whole pitch of <laughs> be branded with bikes, and not even mention the fact that, you know, it's because you like bikes. That's weirder for me. That's more like an elephant in the room situation.
1: Yeah, totally. That's that's kind of um yeah, cutting out letters from a newspaper and writing <laughs> <laughs> type of setup. I agree.
0: I agree. Exactly.
1: I agree. Yeah. And it's um, yeah. I, I think if you can if you can bring people to the pitch, you've got not only experience of that work, but experience of that person's kind of life wider wider then they're going to resonate with them better. They're going to talk yeah. about, yes, we're great at the service, but also with similar people, you'll be able to have conversations with me that are much more free-flowing and open and, and I'm your kind of person and that's why you should work with right. us. I think there's a, there's a lot to and be that's said why about.
0: people choose, you know, the big, one of the biggest things, likability over anything else. It's like you've all got similar products and services, you've got similar prices, and actually I just like you and I don't like you as a person and I'm going to work with you for the next five years of my life, you know, I'll pay the extra. I'll take the slightly less full product even sometimes.
1: Yeah. And you know, that that reminds me, there's um, there's a, a pitch story which I got told by um one of the C-suite execs, at one of the huge agencies in London. And very kindly, you know, I, I reached out to him and said, look, I'm trying to grow an agency at the moment. I don't know what I don't know. And you guys obviously are incredible. Can we, potentially grab a coffee and he said yes and we we caught up and he told me the story of when he was an account exec his boss came into him and said look we've got this company coming in on on tuesday next week this was friday night here's a big stack of papers what they want what we need to deliver please just come up with a a campaign or an idea or something to pitch to this company to win it because these guys are, are huge and it turns out what it was was a heartburn remedy and he thought, right. he must have been, I think he was He was 19 maybe as well, 20-odd. And him and his friends said, right, we'll meet up back at my flat. And we'll, we'll spend the weekend on this. And they started talking about it, trying to figure it out, and realized neither of them had ever even had heartburn. You know, they, <laughs> they had no what idea. What is heartburn? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They thought, I've got no idea how we do this. So they start reading through the, the instructions that come with it and trying to see how is it different and how do you... And they were reading it and they said, have you got to the bit yet of, of not just how this stops heartburn, but what you should do to avoid getting heartburn later? He said, yeah. So he said, well, why don't we do all of the things on that list <laughs> and see what happens? <laughs> and it was, don't eat spicy foods. Don't exercise after, after dinner. Don't um, do X, Y, Z. So they went to the shop. They bought the hottest curries they could find, the chilies. <laughs> they bought loads of beer. They bought all these kind of things. Then they went to the big medicine counter and bought every single remedy for heartburn and all the competitors. They then walked out the shop, went home, ate the hottest carrots they could, started jogging around the living room, doing sit ups, punching each other in the stomach, downing a beer. <laughs> and before they knew it, they said, Oh, they were on the floor, cr- like crunched over with this crippling heartburn. They thought, oh, This must be what it is. And then they took the medicine and sort of thought, Well, does it work? And how can we? what's this feeling like when it finally I feel all right. And apparently he went into the office on the Monday said, look, I've got it. Um, this is our pitch and our idea. We did this anyway. And we, we gave ourselves heartburn and, and apparently the, the, um, the CEO said, so sorry, you gave yourself heartburn and spent hours in pain to get this idea. And I said, yeah, she said, just tell them that just, just ignore the pitch and just tell them that. And they won the business. They won this like multi-billion pound business because they did it differently. They approached it as people. They didn't try and come at this in some sort of overly corporate way. They had that fresh approach on it. And that's what resonated with people was that they were doing it as people and they were genuinely wanted the business and wanted to understand this product. And again, you can gossip it up and process it as much as you want, but it's, it's what are people going to love and what story is going to hit with them. Um, and that just reminds that. that is a
0: mic drop moment. And and it just shows the passion and the enthusiasm and motivation for finding the right answer, right? It's there's no shortcuts there. It's that I'm gonna I'm gonna do this.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what that's what we want is people that do that. That's always the best uh, the yeah. best clients and teams and et cetera, isn't it?
0: So your business is doing well, you've grown it um to where it is today. What how are you gonna this is an entrepreneur question, and I wonder if you've asked any of your mentors about this, how do you scale up from here and do you have a, a vision for that scale?
1: Yeah, we absolutely do. And for me, the first thing to get in place is, is the structures and the processes that we can almost have as a blueprint for the agency. And we're in a world where a lot of people, I find almost accidental entrepreneurs because they're great at this creative job and they go out by themselves they hire someone, they hire someone else because they're getting busy and they're great at what they do. And before you know it, you're running this sort of, I don't know, two million pound agency and you don't really want to be and you don't know where to go with it. (laughs) And so we, from day one, knew processes, understanding every aspect of the the business so that you can pick it up, lift it and place it. And so for us, the, the goal of scale is first to get those in place and use this as the sandbox to test that and make sure they work. And then we want to start growing a group of really specialist agencies because we're in a world of commoditization with with digital now where, as you say, everyone's got similar products and price points. We all are tied to using similar channels. We've got the same toolbox available to us a lot of the time. Of course, the imaginative and and creative side is different, but it's very hard to differentiate. And I believe that really specialist niche, niche agencies of where the value is going to be they're not going to be huge outfits of of tens of thousands of people it's going to be the guys who deliver this one specific problem in a, in a productized way that works perfectly every time because that's what they do um, and those are the people that we want to acquire grow a group around and then put in place these processes so that their incredible ip and and structures that they've built for delivering that service can be scaled and brought out to to the world and, and delivered to these various businesses. Because at the moment, I imagine there's so much talent and genius out there that just hasn't yet hit the nail on the head of how to tell people about it, get it in front of people and, and scale it mm. properly. So that's yeah. what we want to do. That's what our plan is.
0: Fantastic. And you mentioned mentors there. Uh, well, I mentioned it, but you've mentioned you'd reached out to this other other chap in London. How many if you got advice for people starting out on their journey in terms of mentorship and how to find people to guide you in the right way,
1: yeah, definitely. I think mentors are so important to all of this, especially again. I'm speaking a lot to, I suppose, the younger sort of startups and, and people who who are my age, but it seems really scary when you first start that. You know, anyone who's a Quotations business person you know you you think, oh God, they're not going to want to talk to me. I think firstly it's it's having that openness to be told no, and that you will have people that don't reply and asking around and you'll find your version of of Bobby who took the chance on us as, as teenagers because he saw the opportunity he saw the potential, but also he probably had someone do that for him in the past, and I think it's it just takes time but reach out to a lot of people, people that you think will genuinely add value to your business as well and there will be i'm sure the response will be overwhelming um compared to what you think it might be and people i don't know how you found it through your journey as well but people are so much more open to helping than it seems from the outside there's actually a lot of nice people in business that we don't give enough credence to
0: and this is this is what I, i i always say if you don't ask you don't get and actually when you do ask I think you'll be very pleasantly surprised, if not amazed, by the people who say, yes, you think I'm going to reach out to you. I don't expect anything at all because you are you. And oh, my God, what am I even thinking, writing you an email? And then people come back and say, hey, lovely to meet you. I'd love to have chat. And it's like people don't even ask in the first place because they're so worried of that rejection. And as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you've got to. Put that fear of rejection to, to one side right
1: yeah that, that's it and and it it comes across in everything that that you do when you're trying to start a business like this is if if you're not failing at something you're not doing enough, you're not trying enough mm. things you're not actually moving forward and and that's the' same with mentors you know you've got to be finding and, and speaking to as many people as you can until you find that one that really just clicks with you and you're not going to find that first go that's fine, you know maybe you've got someone in mind, but actually you realize someone you haven't spoken to yet that you meet in six months is the best fit for what you need support with and it's so valuable I, I can't stress enough the value of, of mentors and finding people who who can give you that life experience that you don't have to then go and do the, the value on someone who's done this before and trodden the same path and can tell you where to avoid and and the pitfalls that are on the way is in, in another stratosphere you can't pay for that you know there's there's so much that that they can deliver for you so definitely looking for mentors has got to be um, up there in priorities when you're starting something up like this
0: I just want to ask you quickly about motivation as well can you think back to perhaps a time not day one but over the last few years where you've thought why am I even doing this Mm. it's too hard it would be a lot easier to just get a job at I don't know w a smith and and saved myself a headache. Can you think of a moment like that and and talk me through how you managed to stay
1: doing what you're doing of course and and I think that's something that so many people must go through. I'm sure you've had it in right. in your role it's a lot of pressure yes a, a lot yep. of uh, you know fast paced environment, huge workloads and again the other sort of speakers and guests you've had on the podcast. You listen to their story and you think, that is so much you've put into this. You know, there must have been those moments. And there absolutely are. And for me, I love more than anything that moment where, so when I when I finally got that holiday for mum, for example, and I gave that to her on her 60th birthday and we said, right, we're going to go and we did all of that. It's beyond anything else that you can even explain with winning a client or with you know, getting a dividends payment. Let's be very crude about it. You get paid for doing this. Getting a dividends payment, it's not as exciting. It gets old. It's you can't have that as your motivation. Um, you know, and for me it's that thing of helping or or giving access to people I really care about. These these things that we they may have never been able to do, but also actually growing something and enjoying that journey of it. And something that someone told me before was that you will have moments where you're stood on the edge of the abyss and you're just looking at into this black and there's nothing ahead of you you've got no idea what you're going to do next and that's that's the test of if you deserve what's on the other side of that because you don't know what it is yet it could be there it could not be But if you're the one that's going to take the step forward that's the test of it whereas everyone else is you turn around they've already gone they thought oh, not for me don't like that and they've come so far and so for me it's that thing of well if i'm the one who's always going to take that next step there's always going to be something more that i can do and there's going to be something on the other side whether it's good or bad and it's going to progress me regardless if it goes well it goes well brilliant if it goes badly i'll learn something i'll, I'll get better at it and um it's it's those risks and, and and paying off or not that i really enjoy and that keep me motivated i think if we were to never take a risk and just sit um nice and safe forever that's when i'd lose motivation and we did that when we started to hire we started to to reduce our the risks we were taking and it did start to take a toll on motivation was if you don't have these risks you don't have things happening you do start Mm. to think well why are we here we could probably get a salary somewhere else and do it like that and so we had to sort of pick ourselves up and say right do more do more scary Mm. things and that's where a lot of the motivation comes from as well
0: and other than motivation which helps you to push through what about mental health has that been an issue at all, and and if you've got advice, again, it doesn't have to be even for young people, but you know, we all suffer from different mental health aspects, I think especially in the last few years with all the stuff that's going on in the world. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so mental health is is a huge part of it, and you'll have, for me at least anyway, it's something that's been a huge part of my life when I was really young, and I make no secret of it in the office, and everyone's very aware, we all talk about it very openly, we've we've put in place a lot of um sort of uh partnerships at work with with mind the charity locally and we've got um this app called shiny mind which is an nhs app for mental health and we want to support people on that and because it has been a big thing for me and i think personally i had this really weird journey with it where i, I had depression for a long time but i wasn't aware that that's what it was no one just no yeah. one tells you that um I just thought, oh God, this is how everyone feels. This is a bit rubbish, isn't it? And it went on years and years from when I was a kid. And then I went to a doctor and they said, oh yeah, no, you're, you're just depressed. I was oh right, okay. So we started to work on that and, and you suddenly get a, a diagnosis for it, if you like. Started taking tablets for it. But I think the thing that people don't realize is with depression, it's not that you're sad. It's kind of, you just don't feel anything at all. Um, so then I started taking these tablets and for the first time since childhood, You feel a bit more normal and that gets overwhelming. So then it pushes you into anxiety. And so that was where I started to sit. And it was kind of a rock and a hard place for, for years and years and years. Where I kind of had one or the other, I could sit in the middle for a bit and it would be great. But you have to really try and balance that. And it's really hard. And I think for me, of course, actually getting out there and talking to people about it has been really helpful. And I've been in pitches actually where it was our first ever Google Ads client ever and it was a quarter of a million pound a year spend that they wanted us to manage and we were in there pitching it and this was just as i was kind of in this really tricky phase and i started talking i just had a panic attack in this, in this meeting in this pitch and i just said I, I decided at that point i can either try and get through this and make this very awkward for everyone or which is what i did was i stopped the pitch and just said look i'm really sorry I've got anxiety. I'm kind of like this panic attack at the moment. It's a bit of a pain. I'm really sorry about that. Can you give me a minute? And everyone in the room went, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, no problem. Fine. And then we just carried on. And it was like, you can either get it out there or try and deal with it in your own head and let it spiral and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Or I bet if you just tell people, they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I had one of those the other week. Real pain, yeah. aren't they? Um And talking about it has been huge. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, what, I, what I love is that it's really not the taboo subject that it used to be. No. And actually, I think it's very brave and courageous to speak out about it, you know, on this podcast, but in in a pitch, especially to say, hold on, just having a panic attack. You know, <laughs> I mean, if I was in the audience, I would think I want to hire that guy. That is honesty and transparency and, you know, authenticity, as long as you don't screw up the pitch. Of exactly. but, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we did win it we did win that pitch so that was really great
0: yeah good uh, for you man in. thank you and and i think that's the other thing is trying not to ignore your mental health and if you are the person who is anxious and has panic attacks finding out how to deal with those things because if in that moment you had never figured out what a panic attack was you wouldn't have even been able to give yourself that headspace to stop and say those words. You would just be in a world spiraling out of control and leave the room and, and leave everything in confusion. But because you had recognized in yourself what you suffered from and done the research into how to deal with it and got the help needed, I mean, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but you know, as someone who has also suffered from depression and anxiety and panic attacks, that's what helped me anyways, understanding it and almost then practicing how to deal with it. So when you're in a big situation, it's not just about getting over it without anyone noticing it's doing the things you need to do for yourself in that
1: situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I I also think it's a thing of, of constantly challenging it and proving to yourself that you do have this, you're fine. Mm. You've got it. Like Mm. it's, it is annoying and it's something that all of us have to a level and if you don't I think absolutely don't take it for granted it must be amazing to not have that I think it's easy to just think that that's how everyone feels um but one of the the big things for me was I I used to a lot of public speaking and then I started to have these kind of yeah real real panic attacks before and during a a, a sort of talk and I just stopped and I just disappeared off the grid for about a year um and I thought I'm not doing this anymore, but it was so beneficial for me, my mental health, for the business, and we want to grow. and I need to do something about this. And I was playing golf with with a client, um, which sounds very businessy, but it wasn't. We were, and oh, uh, I love that! Yeah, um, we got invited to this golf day with them, and he said on the course, he "said Look, we've got an event coming up in Dubai where we need a, a speaker to talk about marketing and software and tech and how those all work together, and um, we'd love for you to do it. Would you be up for it?" And in my head immediately, again, I just went, nope, not at all. Absolutely not. Say no, Mm -hmm. get out, finish the game. And I kind of said, yeah, you know, let me let you know. And I went home that night. I thought, well, either I can say no now and get further into this thing where my head's telling me you can't do those things. That's not for you. That's not a thing you do. Or I can just say yes and then make myself deal with it, which sounds insane. But I said yes, and we flew to Dubai, and it was in November, I think a year or two ago. Did the talk absolutely fine. Nothing went wrong. It was great. We got really interesting leads from it. People loved it. Great questions, QA. And I left that, and I've had no problem public speaking since. But if I'd have said no, I know for a fact it would have just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. I wouldn't do podcasts. I probably would then start to struggle yeah. in pitches and in, yeah. in sales calls. And so you've got to kind of grab it with both hands yourself and say, look, this is, this is up to me as well. I'm not beholden to it. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you've got to use that. And otherwise, yeah, everything will, will start to, to go down that road. So that's been a and it. And
0: it echoes a lot of what many others have said on this podcast, which I love, which is, you know, uh, Viv Groskop, the stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. she talks about saying yes before you're ready. Yes. Because you're never actually going to be ready. And until you say yes, and then you force yourself to do that preparation. Thomas Erickson talks about, um, he recommended a book to me, which I'm always, I think it's worth mentioning again, called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, Mm -hmm. which is just a great kind of ethos to have. I I guess on that topic, any, any, it doesn't have to be a book, but any books or, or inspirational people or resources that have helped you, sort of given you any paradigm shifts or helped to get you to where you are today?
1: yeah i think so for me there's a book called meditations which you might have heard of um by marcus aurelius which is really interesting and i find that absolutely fascinating with with how long ago he wrote that or didn't didn't even write it was his diary and then it got turned into a book and that is very much around you can control what you can control um and the whole sort of stoicism philosophy behind that um and again seneca's book where he talks about We often we suffer more in our head than we do in reality and it's like you you build these things up so much as you say just say yes feel the fear do it and it's how many times is it always just fine Um, and you've built it up for yourself and those books have been really helpful to kind of put things into perspective as to how you can prioritize what you're doing how you should be feeling the fact that you've got control over your own emotions and you can think yourself ill, but that's hugely powerful if you can actually control that and think yourself better and think yourself successful in growing your business or achieving what you want. Imagine if you could get your mind to work for you all the time rather than against you. That would be incredible. Right. So those kinds of books talk a little bit about that and how you could kind of start to get to that point. And for me, that's that's really what I'd aspire to have. So certainly worth reading those.
0: Fantastic. And tell us about where we can find out more about you and your agency and all of the brilliant offerings that you have.
1: Of course. So LinkedIn is always a great place. I'm on LinkedIn, just Carl Hewitt. Um, Our website, Um, hewittmatthews.co.uk. Feel free to pop by if you're in Portsmouth at any point to to come for a coffee and um, be more than happy to catch up.
0: So final question. Any... Let's, let, let's just phrase this right, first of all. So the question is any final words of wisdom? But I think especially with you, thinking about 17-year-old you, what advice would you have given yourself starting out a business that you know now that perhaps other people
1: will find insightful? Such a good question. I would say get out in front of as many people as you possibly can um, and meet as many people as you possibly can and focus on growing a quality network is, is my advice, especially in the marketing sector. If this is where you're working, meet as many good people as you can, um, because there's, there is no downside to that. And you'll see growth, you'll see new leads, you'll learn new things, you'll, you'll develop quicker and, um, your, your communication will improve. There is no downside. You'll just see. Um, some really phenomenal improvement from that, and that's something I, I wish I'd done more of at that point, rather than working too much in the business. I suppose.
0: Fantastic, Carl, you are inspirational. I can't thank you enough for your time. I think you've going to have touched a lot of people listening to this, and I just see you going from bigger to bigger and bigger things. And thanks so much for your
1: time today oh thank you so much it's been a real pleasure as i say i'm a big listener and big fan of the podcast as well so thank you for having me on
0: this has been another episode of pitch masters go to pitchguy.co.uk for updates and information or search for pitch guy on social media for regular videos on sales psychology storytelling creativity and much more